everyone. Welcome back. My name is Dr. Beth Trammell, and uh, I'm your host. I'm a licensed psychologist and an associate professor of psychology at Indiana University East. And I'm really excited today because I have a fellow Red Wolf here with me today. Um, he also works at IU East in a different department, but we are sort of kindred spirits in that we really want to advocate for the best possible scenario in the classrooms, in the school buildings. And, you know, today's topic is going to be heavy uh, because I think we are learning and continuing to see that burnout is a, a huge factor in what's going on in the schools right now. And it's also so impactful to our everyday lives, the interactions that teachers have with students, that administrators have, and and frankly, just who they are as people. Um, so Dr. Josh Tolbert's here with me, and he and I both love our teachers, our administrators, everybody who's in the school building, and we are here to share um, some research we've been doing and hopefully uh, just kind of share with listeners ways that we can help, ways that we can support. I think we all want to support our, our teachers, our schools, our staff as much as we can. And so we're hoping to, to share some information with, with you all the listeners today. So Dr. Josh Tolbert, tell us a little bit about you and um, tell us one fun thing about you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Josh Tolbert. Uh, I'm an associate professor of special education, specifically my, uh, my area of concentration is specific learning disabilities. Uh, I had a a pretty substantial career in K-12 education before moving into higher ed. Uh, my career makes no linear sense or sense at all to anyone but me because uh, I, I initially sought certification for uh, K-12 art and 612 Spanish. So those were my first two areas of certification. I decided that wasn't fringe enough. So I went back and did special education, I guess. Um, I've, and I variously taught at the elementary, middle and secondary levels at different points since uh, pretty much since uh, 2000, 2001. Yeah, I probably, I, I, I'm not saying that in any way to be, to kind of big up myself here, but I probably have a perspective on education that a lot of people just don't have based on what I've done and the kind of the track I followed in the field. Um, because I'm, I'm apparently supposed to be fun at the same time somehow, which I admit seems very appropriate on a day where we're mostly going to talk about a very heavy subject like burnout. Um, one interesting fact about me, uh, I spent most of my life in Michigan and because stereotypes are clearly true. Sometimes, uh, I'm, I'm a hockey player. I took that back up again somehow after moving to Indiana and not while I was living in Michigan. Um, but I'm pretty proud to say that I, uh, I think I'm in that category of pretty good for a guy over 40 when it comes to playing hockey. It's kind of like, you know, when you get to a certain age where it's like, you look good, you know, and people consciously tell you that it's kind of like, yeah, you're pretty good for your age, you know? Yeah. So I'm right there. That's, that's a good spot to be in. You do get to a certain age where yeah. then it is sort of like, you're good for your age. There's an asterisk. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it can't just be that you're good. I, you know, especially playing, uh, in the context of drop-in summer hockey, you know, looking at some of the like 19 and 20 year old guys I'm playing against, I'm definitely not objectively good. So I'm cool with that. You know, there's uh, there's, there's a victory in just persevering in a lot it's of so ways. true. You know? My, um, my teenager uh, loves to tell me like, mom, you run, I mean, pretty fast for a mom, you know, for someone your age. And I think they like really mean it as a compliment. 
you know, oh, yeah. like they, they really are proud to share. And I just take it as a compliment, you know, because probably, you know, probably just need to accept that as a compliment these days. I, I think that's absolutely the right way to go. It almost, you know, I would never do it, but it almost seems like something we ought to be able to list on a CV, like just kind of a category of qualifiers, you know, like, you know, for a mom, for your age, you know, like the things you've chalked up where it's like, I'm, I'm pretty good if you account for these, these dimensions, you know? Well, you know, it's why there are age brackets in races, you know? I mean, I think we know that, hey, for this age bracket, I'm doing all right. That's, that's, a, that's a tough one. I ran a 5K, by the way, this past weekend, and that was very, you know, I'm, 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 trying, to, I'm trying to regain physical health after COVID like a lot of people, but yeah, doing, a, doing even a 5K run is not something I am in any condition for, apparently, and I was starkly reminded of that very recently where I'm like, this is, this is different than, you know, this is different than hitting the elliptical. I should have trained for this a little harder. So funny. And, you know, we could keep talking about, you know, the things that happen as you get older with your body and how you, you know, my, my dad used to always say that, um, you know, my mind tells me I'm young enough to do this. And I think that is, I mean, for me, it's very true. You know, I go into any kind of physical activity and I think, I could definitely do this 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, I just forget that like last little part. <laughs> you know, you're much more qualified than I am to speak to any, uh, any specific psychology behind this, but it's, it's so interesting. I remember, you know, parents and older adults told me for a lot of years where it's like, yeah, you know, even though I'm X number of years old, like my brain still thinks I'm 25. And I was like, really, you know, but now I, like I, co- I completely get that. I'm like, yeah, there is definitely a part of my brain that's like, just kind of locked in at my prime and, you know, then kind of gets these, these, uh, periodic reminders where it's like, yeah, that, that mild back pain that never goes away. Like, yeah, you're not, you're not actually 25, but it's not happening. Yeah. You know, just it's, it, it's, it's attitudinal at some point too, you know, there's a, there's bound to be a lot about life that comes down to how you approach it. So now that we are fully primed into talking about how old we are in our bodies, let's shift to talk about burnout, which is burnout. equally as exciting to talk yeah. about. Um, so Josh and I have been working on a research project with um, one of my graduate students. She actually graduated. Way to go, Madison. Mm-hmm. Uh, she helped with kind of getting the research off the ground. And Josh and I have been gathering survey information from both teachers and administrators, and we want to share a little bit of that with you today. Uh, We're not going to share all of it. We have been talking at professional conferences about it because burnout, even though it's a hard topic to talk about, it is so important. And I think we're finding more and more how important it is. And I think people are becoming more aware of it. But in case there's someone listening who may be isn't quite sure what burnout actually means. Um, Josh, can you share just a little bit about what we're calling, we're kind of calling burnout or, you know, the ways that we think about burnout? Yeah, I think it's important to say that, um, you know, part of the genesis of this just with us directly, I think was, I don't remember exactly, probably spring of 2021, you and I were talking about this and it even almost kind of came up in the context of like, is there a profession that's experiencing more burnout than, teaching. And I think it's important to say that burnout is a topic that's on a lot of people's minds in the COVID era. You know, it's relevant to everybody. I'm not trying to say like, this is something we specifically, yeah, you know, like teachers only are affected by this, but 
Um, but I think there are some very distinct ways that that manifests that we'll talk more about, I'm sure, as this, uh, as this unravels or unfolds, probably is better. It might unravel. It's always a risk with me in the room. Uh, with me, for sure. You know what I mean? But um, we're looking specifically at dimensions related back to some seminal work on burnout, having to do with emotional exhaustion, kind of the, the sense of depersonalization, personal accomplishment. Um, and, and really a lot of what we're looking at is, I think, tied to burnout impacting those areas specifically, which it's really easy to see how that happens in education because it's it really in a lot of ways still is, I mean, I don't want to sound cheesy, but it's true. It's a more of a calling than a profession for a lot of mm. people. Like this mm-hmm. is something, you know, this is a field that still a lot of people go into because they're very, very committed to, uh, particularly in a field like special education, you know, really trying to make sure that people have access to educational equity, just making sure that students are, are well, uh, well-educated, well-taken care of, able to develop as human beings. So what we probably see is some heightening too, where as that investment increases, the the impact of diminished emotional uh, capacity or sense of personal achievement, or which by the way, I have to say, especially as, as we've seen various things, you know, I uh, just kind of the uncertainty of COVID and some of the policies that came with it kind of the, you know, the focus that we've seen for two decades now, basically on high stakes state mandated tests, like more standardization of uh, curricula. That's a deep topic. I won't go too much into it, but there is already a depersonalizing aspect that I think a lot of people are aware of where that has been part of the field. And as, as that increases, you know, and people are very invested in doing this work, it's hard to reconcile that. Um, so I, I suspect that that creates a lot more dissonance or a lot more tension in people who are teaching because you just, you take it harder. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. I think it's that simple in some ways we, you know, we do this work as an extension of our, of ourselves and as, as really a, a work of care. And it's very difficult to, you know, to not be highly destabilized when burnout sets in. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't think that there are going to be listeners who hear this and are shocked to hear that our, um, you know, our participants shared that they were quite burned out and, um, you know, shared that when there is kind of a a perceived lack of social support, um, we're, we're seeing a relationship with, with burnout and, when you're in a parent role, right? So we're we're studying these things and just sort of confirming what we probably know is already true. But as we, you know, kind of wrap our head around, okay, yeah, it makes sense, you know, when teachers have kids of their own, um, that that additional role as a parent and as a teacher is likely to increase their level of burnout or it's likely to be um, definitely related. And then if we're not feeling connected to other people socially, we're also going to be seeing higher levels of burnout. But we did ask, what do you think about who cares yeah. the most about the kids, right? And this was, oh this God. this wasn't necessarily surprising, but it was really interesting for us to kind of hypothesize how this also plays a role in their level of burnout. So um, can you walk us through kind of what um, what the participants shared about kind of who cares the most about the kids? And we sort of asked you, 
your your fellow teachers, the principal in the building, upper administration, and then policymakers. Like who cares the most? So tell us a little bit about what we found. Absolutely, yeah. That in a lot of ways you're right. I think it was kind of a. It, it probably unfolded very similar to what we would have hypothesized, but it was interesting to capture the data. Without getting too technical about it, it's worth noting that we sent out two different questionnaires, one that was aimed at at teachers, counselors, basically like instructional staff and people who have more direct contact with students, and then to administrators. And it, it's been really fascinating to compare those two, in fact, because we asked, it, it doesn't look exactly the same, but it's the same idea, you know, rank how much, how much you care, how much your immediate peers care, how much kind of the people that you, you know, as it, and, and essentially what we saw was that the respondent usually rated themselves as caring the most of those categories. Next was usually like when we asked teachers, it was like, I care the most, my fellow teachers care the next most. Then it's probably like administrators, parents, but and we asked about policymakers and lawmakers, and they they just took a bath on both surveys. I mean, that was like I, I don't even have to run numbers on that to know it's a statistically significant difference. I mean, it's not even in the ballpark. And what what I found interesting is that with teachers, I think we saw a little more gradation of that, where it was kind of like me, my fellow teachers, administrators, parents, lawmakers. Um, with administrators, what was interesting is that it was kind of like me and my fellow administrators are basically identical. Uh, the amount the teachers and parents care is basically identical. And then policymakers, lawmakers is like, again, they just got hit really hard. And I, there's a lot to say about all of that, but one thing that I can't get away from, even though that's not surprising as a finding is that it says a lot about, it says a lot about the state of education as a system, honestly, mm. because this is, this is an entity that only works you're always going to have complexity. You're always going to have a, a, a blend of different stakeholders. That That's just how it operates. You can't do public education and be like, we're just going to ignore, you know, we're going to ignore all the laws and just do what we think we need to do. Or parents, you know, we don't, we don't need their input. Like this is inherently a collaborative endeavor, but it's really interesting that we see, you know, it, it's like the, the farther removed somebody is from, uh, or a stakeholder is from a subjective perspective, we see a perception of less caring and really a lot of antagonism. I'm not saying that there aren't some reasons that that's probably valid or needs to be worked through, but for the sake of an analogy, and I, I always love to use this visual metaphor, uh, back, in my, back in my art teaching days, in fact, one of my colleagues told me a story about uh, when he was younger and his grandfather had a couple of bees that he'd put in a jar, I believe. I think that was the idea of it. And they were really, you know, it's these two bees and they're just flying all over and trying to sting each other and getting really aggressive. And he asked his grandfather, he's like, well, why did, why are they doing that? You know? And his grandfather said, um, they blame each other for being in the jar. Mm. And I've thought a lot about that. Like I come back to that visual a lot. I think we spend a lot of time blaming each other for being in the jar. And I do understand that up to a point, um, but especially when we're seeing the degree of burnout that we're probably seeing and some of the challenges we've seen, we we simply can't afford to do that and still remain viable as as a system of public education. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I well, I love any kind of metaphor, and um, I love this idea of kind of bees in the jar, and it does feel like not not everywhere, I'm sure, but there is almost this contentious relationship um, between stakeholders, right? Where they they are sort of fighting in the jar, right? And whether we talk about parents and 
teachers, parents, and administrators, uh, policymakers, and teachers. You know, I think there is a lot of mm, not necessarily harmony. Yep. So, you know, the other piece that's kind of interesting to me is when I was pondering kind of about this, these data that said teachers perceive parents caring, not nearly as much. Yeah. I mean, what do you make of that? It's just so interesting to me because, you know, I have four kids and all of them have teachers and I love teachers so dearly that I just don't want to bother them. So I'm not emailing them. I'm not going into the building. You know, I'm not, and you know, for the longest we weren't allowed in the building. So as I started to ponder this, it's like, well, how does that teacher feel like I care? Yeah. Like what, what would be the, the indication to that teacher that, Oh, you know, Beth Trammell really cares about her kids. And so it really left me wondering, do, do my kids' teachers feel like I don't care? And so I guess my question is, you know, for me and for other parents to think about, you know, how do I show that I care about my kids' edu- education? How do I show that? And I guess the flip side of that question is for teachers to consider and then be explicit about what would those indicators be? that would show that I would care, that they would perceive me as caring as a parent. Yeah, that caring dimension, there's just a lot there, you know? I mean, to be honest, when I first looked at those data, it's, you know, I think we had a similar reaction where it's like, that seems, it's hard to take that on the face of it, you know? Like you're really gonna sit there and be like, oh, I definitely care more about people's own children than they do. Yeah. But, you know, as I thought more about that, you know, for the sake of another anecdote, because it worked last time, um, when I was doing an elementary Spanish position, uh, which had me going around to like every, every other building or every other classroom in the, in the district, basically, it really struck me that there, you know, I think again, because I had kind of an outsider's perspective, like I always have on education, I picked up on different things. And I was talking to one of the fifth grade teachers. And I remember, you know, that distinctly sh- there were two kids in her class who had been pretty much like, you know, one, I think they just dropped off with the grandparents. And they were like, I'm done being a parent by there was one one kid who made local news, I think, because their parent tried to like pretty much take out like a Craigslist. Like, who wants my kid? You know, mm. I, I there's there's enough gradation here that I I find that that question of caring really interesting because. Yeah, on on the surface, I I think it's ridiculous to, as an educator, I would never say that I care more about people's kids objectively, absolutely than they do, because I don't, I don't think that's possible, you know, in a lot of respects, but I can see too, that when, when you have a situation where, you know, two out of 30 of the fifth graders you're teaching have essentially been abandoned by their parents, or where maybe to a more moderate degree, you're aware, I was certainly aware if that was some of my high schoolers, I'm like, there are not a lot of other adults who actually like, you know, interact with you or ask you questions in your day-to-day life. Like we do as educators fulfill a role in that way that I think can shape that perspective, or maybe that's part of the root of the response that we were getting. But, you know, it's also, I got to say, I mean, that brings me a lot back to kind of reconciling that tension and how we collaborate or how we communicate across these stakeholder groups, because like the high school that I taught in for most of my early career, you know how it goes, you know, you kind of develop stereotypes or perceptions or whatever. And it's like, oh yeah, the parents of these kids don't care or they're not involved or whatever. 
And as, as when we did school improvement and actually did a study and interacted with the parents and talked to them about involvement, it was kind of like, well, yeah, I'm involved. Like, you know, I put like, I mean, I keep up with things, but I mean, my kid is 17 years old, you know, I'm not going to like come to a conference or come to events at the school. I'm, I'm involved in the sense of trying to like help them develop the tools to be an independent adult, which is the same thing we want as teachers. There's not even a different purpose there, but it gets expressed in different ways that are not always communicated or reconciled. And I think that's, that's a lot of the complexity at the heart of the question to me. I'm just sitting here thinking about this, you know, I never check my kids' grades. Never. In fact, I didn't even have access to power school and my daughter is a freshman now. It's so interesting for me to ponder this now because a teacher may misinterpret my lack of caring for grades as an overall lack of caring. And in fact, I spend every morning before I'm dropping my kids off telling them, be kind to your teacher, respect your teacher, say something nice to them. They might be stressed out. Like, be kind to your friends. So I am, you know, continually behind the scenes trying to, you know, promote those same characteristics that I think the teachers probably want and would make their life easier, but certainly not necessarily uh, showing, quote, caring, perhaps for the academic process. I don't know. I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking, I'm going to put Josh on the hot seat. I think I'm just going to ask him, right? When you think back to your teacher days, yeah, right? Or even you talk to teachers all day long in your job all the time. What is the, you know, what, what are those indicators that teachers are like, oh, this parent is really involved or this parent is really, this parent really cares. And alternatively, the, this parent doesn't care. This parent isn't involved. Like what are the murmurings or things that yeah. you remember kind of putting in either of those categories? That that definitely feels like a hot seat question uh, just because, again, there's there's a lot of variation and there, I think, is a lot of complexity here uh, in terms of just different situations, different ways that people might interpret them or respond to them. I, I mean, really, that's the heart of what, a lot of what we're talking about with burnout is that it's not, there. there are some ways that I think we've been able to you know, because just as a quick aside, I mean, we've been we've been intensely studying this topic for more than a year now, and in some ways, probably know more about it than ever. And in other ways, I'm like, I I feel yeah. like I have new questions every day. Lots you know? more questions. It, yeah, it gets pretty complicated pretty quickly. But I would say, generally speaking, the big it's one thing I'll say is that I find interesting with this paradox about uh, caring and kind of just involvement is that I think lack of communication is almost always interpreted or inferred to be a lack of interest, a lack of investment. That's even that obviously is more particularly coming from a field like special education. Most recently, there are very good reasons. Like, you know, it's not at all uncommon to see uh, students with disabilities who have parents who went through school and probably didn't have the best experience in in many ways were maybe kind of uh, marginalized because of disability themselves. So like there are even in a lot of cases, very good reasons, including what you described, where maybe there's a little more distance between the parent and the school where it's kind of like, either I had a bad experience and I don't want to go anywhere near it, or like I'm teaching my kids all the right thing and, you know, sending them off to school and I'm not going to interfere with what they're doing, but we're on the same, you know, it, it gets murky because that, that distance isn't always a negative. And on the other side of that, I'm going to say it, I've definitely had my share of, uh, you know, kind of those parents that are very vocal 
And it's, it's difficult sometimes not to get a little bit frustrated with that. Cause you're just like, Oh my gosh, you know, like every day they want, or like every week they want me to sign an update and every day they're calling me with a question or what, you know, or like they're complaining all the time, but that doesn't mean they don't care. I mean, in fact, that's, that's obvious, right? I mean, that can be a very clear way that someone is, it's not maybe the ideal or optimal way to express that you care, but that, that shows a lot of investment potentially just maybe not articulated in the ways we want it to be. And that's part of the challenge here. It really comes down to, you know, it, it can come down to some very clear differences in priorities or communication styles. I, to be perfectly honest, I mean, one of the things that I, I see a lot of in a lot of classrooms that will be a red flag for any teacher is having, you know, students who are disruptive to the learning process or require a lot of time to deal with social behavior. That can be really tricky because even there, you know, like a kid who's disruptive isn't necessarily there can be a lot of good reasons that that's happening, you know, or a lot of understandable reasons where it's like, is this an avoidance behavior? Is this more, you know, is this more how you communicate or interact and actually a strength that we can play to? It isn't, all, it, it's very rarely, in fact, I would say like, I'm going to wake up and ruin this person's day just for the sake of doing it. But, you know, a lot, a lot even starts right there where it's kind of like trying to navigate, you know, my expectation is that you will be very orderly or whatever. Like, there's there's a lot of social dynamics and probably a lot of psychological uh, elements that I can't begin to scratch the surface of here, but that's that's part of why this is so important, but it's also part of why it's so hard to get to the heart of it because it just maps out in 80 different directions as soon as you start kind of talking about it or thinking your way through it. You know what I mean? You know, you mentioned like lack of communication just is probably one of the baseline. Absolutely. You know, hey you're just not really all that invested. And, you know, I, I think about my my son's third grade teacher just yesterday. So yesterday was their kind of first day back to school. And um, they the teacher sent a message that just sort of said, hey, I'm just really excited about the year. This is what we did today. And we learned procedures. And if you have any questions or anything, feel free to reach out. I read it and I thought, well, that's nice. And I just I don't think I deleted it, but I certainly didn't reply. Right. And so even in something like this, you know, I'm thinking, would it feel better for her, for me to say, thanks for the update. You know, Adrian said he had a good day and he looks forward to the rest of the year. You know, you know, is that extra step, even though she's not asking for it, does that communicate Hey, first of all, thanks for taking the time to communicate with me. And my kid responded well to what you did this first day of school. Or is getting that email of like, yeah, thanks for telling me just an annoyance that you're just getting another email. That's probably going to depend on the person. But, you know, I, I like where you're going with that just in general, because it I don't know, to be honest, I spend a lot of time trying to convey to future teachers in my role as a teacher educator now that communication isn't just sending out, which is, is hard sometimes because that's that's part of the puzzle here. Sometimes parents, I think, are, especially on an individual basis, can be a little bit reluctant to, to interact because if we're only communicating with them about problems, which is very often what has happened in yeah. education, you know, it, it's hard to really build the kind of relationship you need to have to collaborate when it's like, my kid's in trouble again. That's why they're calling me or something or emailing me. Um, so it is, I think it is really important. And you gave a good example of it to kind of communicate, you know, just more generally, more positively. Uh, 
we always encourage teachers to try and, you know, find ways to do that on more of an individual student level too. just like, Hey, I just wanted to let you know that, you know, we had this, this thing happen today. It was really positive. Like just wanted to give a kudo and I know parents always like getting good news. So there are those different kind of layers of communication, but I wonder too, I mean, I really, again, I really like what you're saying because my instinct is that I, I think a lot of teachers, even who are in kind of that habit of like, I just want to kind of communicate generally or leave the door open you know, when nobody responds at all, it's, it's perfectly fine to get a specific question, but I, w- I would think I, I I'm just going to speak for myself. I think if I sent something like that out and even just a couple people said like, Hey, I don't have any questions, but thanks for doing that. I, I would feel a lot more like, you know, like I wasn't just kind of saying things into the wilderness and that would yeah. be as a practical, as a practical suggestion for anybody listening, who is uh, especially in a teacher or parent role or both, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of potential to the thread that you're pulling on here. Yeah. And, you know, I even think about sending, uh, you know, a handwritten note maybe once a month or, you know, just any ways that you can feel particularly intentional right. about showing your child's teacher or their principal or uh, any of the administrators that they matter. I think always goes a long way. And I think I'm still left with the challenge for the folks in the building to maybe even reflect on how are they giving opportunities for parents to show they're involved, to show that they care. I think that comes back to something you said earlier about how, you know, when they started to ask the parents, when you started to ask the parents, it was like, oh, we're learning something new. Um, you know, we're learning that the parents kind of want to be involved. We're just trying to figure out what that looks like. You know, this is still, again, I think good data continues to push additional good questions. And I think those are the questions that I continue to ponder and talk with people about, you know, how do we show people that we care, which in turn is likely to decrease their level of isolation and burnout, which would increase their connection with my kid, which is ultimately my goal, right? So how do I do that as a parent or community member? But then also as educators and administrators, how do we kind of tap into giving parents opportunities to show that they care? And I think those are still big and hard questions. They're incredibly hard questions. I will circle back and say real quickly that, yeah, if if the mark of good research is the number of questions it generates, then this is hands down the best research I've ever been part of doing because I have so many questions yeah. uh, as, we, as we analyze and talk about this. But there has been this tendency, I think, in education, like schools are, un, it shouldn't even be a question. It's the most obvious thing I can say. They're a reflection of a microcosm of a part of yeah. the larger community. Yep. But at the same time, by by the nature of how of how they function, especially, again, looking at very recent events like the, you know, the continued threat of school shootings or a pandemic, there are very good reasons to make that more, to make schools much more kind of uh, secure or secluded communities for, for the, for the good of, uh, of students and the people working there. But I don't know how you square that circle in the bigger picture though, where it's like, well, we have this very bounded, you know, environment that we, we've kind of walled off, but yet at the same time, we're the, we're the site of like developing the future of this community essentially, or we're reflective of all, I don't know, some ground or some, some, something that really hasn't been tapped there as far as like, how do you really make a school 
you know, truly a site to, to engage and to, uh, to grow the community in the ways that you want to, uh, you know, without falling back into the kind of that, like, you know, at seven o'clock, we take your kids, we lock them up, we do our thing, and then you'll get them back at three. Nobody, I don't think anybody wants that mm-hmm. really, but that's kind of the, I'm exaggerating a tiny bit, but that's essentially the pattern yeah. we fall into. Yeah. So, so then how could it be any surprise that then people are like, oh, well, those parents on the other side of the wall don't care as much as I and again, like for very good practical reasons, it's not like you just say like, oh, well, we'll just, we'll do school out in the open with no, right. Know, no safety, there. no restriction. Yeah. 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 I mean, you just like, you can't do that, but like, how do you then look at ways to, to do maybe other programming or to engage the community or just find ways to, at the very least to make that interaction between educational personnel and the larger community, not, not walled off and artificial from the get-go, you know? Yeah. And it really leaves us in a really tough place because I think we've got a lot of people who want to support the amazing work that teachers and administrators do. And a lot of folks feel helpless. I think teachers feel helpless. I think it contributes to burnout. And so at the end of the day, here I am just thankful to be doing this work, to, to be hearing and amplifying the voices of teachers and administrators um, because we're going to continue to study this. And so that means you are going to have to come back again and talk again about what else we're finding and what else we've been kind of hearing from folks. Cause we just kind of scratched the surface today of what participants kind of told us about burnout and how things are going in the school. And, you yeah. know, I really just want to say thank you to, to showing up today and for being here today, because it's not the most glorious thing, but I really do believe can be one of the most impactful things that we can do as, as higher ed, right. Is we're training the future in the profession, but we're also here to, to help community members and the people that are already in the field. So thanks for being here today. It was, it was an honor to be invited. And I, if I can echo what you said a little bit really quickly, I think, you know, one of the big takeaways we got from, particularly the teacher survey was just the volume of the response. I mean, what people had to say, which leads me to believe, I mean, looking at that and even some work I've been doing it directly interviewing special ed teachers, people have a lot to say about this. And I think it's, it's really obvious, but it's important to say out loud, teachers want to be heard. They have, uh, they have something to say. They want their voices to be heard, I think. And I, I think, especially in conjunction with what you said, I'd like to reassure anybody who might be listening, you know, we care too. We're listening. We're taking this very seriously. Um, the challenge, of course, is that I don't, especially when it comes to burnout or support, I, you know, I don't have any good answers to a lot of these things or any definitive ones either. But, you know, there, there is room for discussion, for common ground and for working together to actually make something very important work better than it is right now. And I think that that's about the best that we can do, you know? (laughs) And so we, we want to share the voices and have them be amplified in the ways that we can. And so I'm just grateful that people said yes to sharing their voice and that we're going to continue to do the work. So um, with that, uh, until we kind of cross paths again with anybody else who's listening, I appreciate you. uh, I appreciate y'all listening and coming out. And until next time, stay safe and stay well. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me.